Good evening. How are you? All right. You got to do better than that. How are you? You get you. I know everybody got an afternoon nap because I did because the hour ahead just really messed me up. Some of you got two hours. I can tell they're still sleep in your eyes. Hey, we're glad that you're here tonight. We've got a special guest. Heath will be uh, introducing in just a little bit, but just wanted to remind you of a couple of announcements. Uh, if you'll grab one of the announcement sheets on your way out, if you didn't get one this morning, I uh, just wanted to remind you next Sunday uh, night, we're going to have family night. So we encourage you to spend time with your families next Sunday night and uh, plan an activity, do something fun. Uh, on the 28th, we will be meeting with all of our teams uh, of the church and committees here in this room at 5 o'clock. So if you're on a team or committee, mark your calendar, if you would, for that. And uh, if you missed this morning's announcement, last Sunday night with our uh, Christian and politics discussion, we raised $600 for mission. So praise the Lord for that. So give, give yourselves a big pat on the back. Thank you for that. Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock. We're going to meet in here to pray. So if you are on the way to work, school, or play, or maybe you're off that day and you just want to get up extra early, come join us. We're going to be praying in here at 7 o'clock. All right, speaking of prayer, let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We worship you, your majesty, as we just heard played. You're awesome and you're holy and you're good. We thank you for that. Thank you for what we're going to experience tonight. Uh, Lord, we look forward to hearing uh, your word and hearing some practical things that can challenge us in our families. So we're excited about that. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church now as we kind of focus our attention on you and just lift our voices to you. I pray you'd be glorified with this service tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Let's stand together as we sing the Ancient of Days. A chorus, <clears throat> excuse me, a chorus that you know very well. So sing it out tonight, all right? smile a little bit. I think some of you still may be in that nap mode, and I'm looking around, and y'all are just kind of like, some of you actually look like you may actually tip over, you know. So before you sit down, I want you to turn around and just wave at your neighbor. Turn around all over. All right, that's much better. All right, well, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I mean, you're in for a treat. I tell you, it's funny, I, I walked up here, and, and usually when you have a, have a special speaker, you know, you, you like have something for them. Uh, but to tell you how great a friend Seth Buckley is, I walk up here, and this, there's this iPad Pro uh, with the pencil already. So, man, thank you for this. This is going to be great, and I will use it. A lot for the ministry right here. So thanks for that, man. I appreciate it. Uh, no, but uh, all kidding aside, we, we're, we're excited to have um, my good friend, uh, huge influencer, mentor, um, Seth Buckley from First Baptist Spartanburg uh, here with us. Uh, Seth has uh, been the youth pastor at um, 
First Baptist Spartanburg for uh, 25 years. Uh, he is now in transitioning into a role of minister to families and uh, doing some going to be doing some men's ministry uh, there. And so uh, I don't know how they did it, but um, I mean, because they couldn't do this here. I mean, but um, the guy that has come in to be uh, the youth pastor at First Baptist Spartanburg, his name is Seth as well. So, I mean, uh, I mean, how easy is it for their students and parents? I mean, they don't even have to learn a new name, okay? Uh, it's just Seth. All right, okay. You know, so, but, uh, but no, um, Seth is, um, he's been, like I said, he's been at First Baptist Spartanburg 25 years and uh, in youth ministry uh, over 35 plus years. Uh, I, was, I was introduced early on uh, when I was at North Greenville uh, to Seth because some of his former students, uh, Aaron uh, and Michael and Rob Weber, uh, were, uh, were friends of mine at North Greenville. And uh, I know the Lord has took Aaron, and um, that, was a, that was tough uh, this year. I know it was tough on you, but uh, and what a great guy. But uh, so uh, they talked when Seth moved to First Baptist Spartanburg uh, from Somerville. Uh, they... Uh, they talked about him all the time, and uh, would any chance that we got to go to Spartanburg, uh, we would go hang out, and uh, Seth always made time. Uh, even though they were former students, he always made time. And, man, um, they thought the world of him, and it was then that I knew that, uh, that the Lord had his hand on Seth Buckley's ministry. And so uh, we're excited to have him here. Uh, he's uh, from uh, the... Good old Spartanburg area. Uh, actually, uh, is it is it more or is it more or and more? Okay, so um, the thriving metropolis, uh, right beside the thriving metropolis of Roebuck, South Carolina, uh, where uh, where good people come from. Uh, married to his wife Robin for 35 years, and they have four sons: uh, Caleb, Jacob, Eli, and Micah. Uh, have two grandsons, is that right? And so uh, he's enjoying that. And uh, man, uh, we're we're in for a treat. I'm going to stop right there, um, and I'm going to turn it over to to Seth. But I appreciate you being here, man. Uh, thank you so much. I love you. Thank you, he. Gosh, the more he kept talking, the older I felt. You know, <laughs> I was just like, stop, stop. Um, I love Heath. Uh, Jack and I go a long way back, and uh, I, I, could, I could spend a lot of time just saying to you, I hope you know how blessed you are with the leadership that you have here at this church. I hope that you know that. Uh, these, these guys, your staff is so well-respected in our state and uh, in our community. And uh, in the youth ministry circles, um, Heath is... I'll be honest with you, he is approaching that legendary status because, you know, a lot of times in youth ministry, guys are in there for three or four or five years, and then they move on to something else. And uh, then you find guys that they understand the calling of God in their life, and that's to love students and their families well, and to coach them and to be alongside of them and, and lead them, and then be that support role to the pastor and to the staff. And... Uh, and so, um, you know, that, that's what happened to me. I mean, I, I just, uh, I'm sure Heath has been asked this question many times, you know, when are you going to get your own church or whatever? And I've been asked that so many times. I'm like, well, I'm in my church. And <laughs> uh, because it's the calling of God uh, to work with students and families. And so, that, you know, really that's what brings me here tonight. Um, I want you to know that, that, Anything good that happens here tonight is because the Lord chose to speak through me. It's nothing from my wisdom or intellect, I can promise you. Uh, I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of my dad, who was in ministry for years, and then my grandfather. And so it's the legacy of, of ministry that I stand on and the ministry of integrity and being raised in a Christian home. And so that's a lot of what I'm coming to share with you tonight. Um, 
Because I have been in ministry for 175 years or so it seems, you know, there's some things that I'm seeing in our culture today because one of the things in what we do is uh, in working with families and in, in church staff positions, you have to study culture. And obviously you're spending time you know, studying God's Word and, and understanding what God's Word is saying to us today. Uh, but it's also how do we apply that to the culture we're seeing around us that's ever-changing. Uh, several years ago, there was a study that was done by the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And it was a study that was nationwide. Over tens of thousands of students were uh, surveyed. And uh, what they were trying to determine was uh, the impact of being involved in church had on students. And so they were uh, interviewing and surveyed evangelical church-going youth, but also those who didn't go to church, okay? And, uh, and I'm not going to break down all the statistics for you tonight, but um, it was actually staggering to see that in many cases, the difference in behavior of church-going youth Compared to non-church-going youth, their behaviors were the same. Okay, and you're like, ooh, I was hoping you were going to say something a little bit different. Okay? But when you study it a little bit farther, the ones who did show marked change had a family system that valued faith. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, about how the role of the family in a term that we know as discipleship, but it's basically living Christ out every day in our homes, how that makes a difference as a parent, as a grandparent. Uh, I'm telling you, I have a role to play. It's, it doesn't just stop at a certain age. It's as we live our lives. And so I want you to open your Bibles up with you tonight to the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, youth pastors do know where the Old Testament is. And uh, I love having Heath because he laughs at my jokes and laughs at my comments. And he's uh, that dog pound. Who was that guy? Arsenio Hall having the dog pound over there. You know, yeah. Y'all, this, is, uh, this passage of Scripture is pretty, it's indicting to us. I mean, it really it points fingers at us as to... Um, uh, you know, anytime you read words of someone who know that their time is up, that's important for us to lean in and listen. And Moses knew that uh, his time was coming to an end. He had, he had led the children of Israel uh, through the wilderness for 40 years. They approached the river. And uh, as you know the story, uh, he was not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. Okay, that's one of those most heart-wrenching moments when you study the, the life of Moses and all that he did, but that was part of the price he had to pay. Nevertheless, when he, when he realized that his time was coming to a close, he spoke to the leaders, and thus the children of Israel. And I want, So I want you to hear these words as the words that Moses is saying, y'all, I'm about to go, don't miss this. That's what he's saying. Chapter 6, begin with verse 1. I think we have the words on the screen as well. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The, the Billy Graham organization got me turned on to this translation, and I enjoy using that from time to time. Um, These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children and talk about them when you're at home 
and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Blessed be the name of the Lord and the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, these, uh, these words are powerful, and they are a powerful reminder that speak to us today. Father, I pray that you would use this time in all of our lives to remind us that you're calling us to live intentionally, not haphazardly. And Father, we have all been guilty at different times of our life where we have been drifting along for whatever the day may bring. And Lord, I pray that we would realize that our time is brief here on earth. We need to make the most of these moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I brought up grandparents and parents, and you just picked up on the scripture as I read that. It, it uses the phrase children and grandchildren. So in a lot of ways, you know, and if I can speak to any grandparents in the house here today, uh, in, in some ways you're like, well, no, we can just love them and spoil them and send them on home. <laughs> and, and that's not all bad. I mean, my grandboys were over at the house last night, and I was doing a lot of that. Uh, I was loving on them big time. And, but, you know, one of the things that this says is, is there's a responsibility of legacy of faith that, that we have as parents and grandparents. And that is not just for our children but for the children we have influence over, okay? And so in a community, uh, the way that looks is that this church has a responsibility of reaching this community for Christ, reaching children from homes that may not know Christ to teach them these decrees and these commands and the ways of the Lord. And so that's really where the, the, the commission of the church a lot of it is based out of this passage that then we repeat these things and talk about these things so that we don't forget them down the road. Uh, now, if you study the, the history of the children of Israel, uh, they forgot. <laughs> they did good, and then a prophet came along and reminded them. And then they did good for a while, and then they, they steer, you know, veered off, and uh, they forgot the Lord and you know, pursued their own way. And then another prophet came along to remind them. And so then there's the sequence of the Old Testament. Um, it's almost like we see that again today. You know, there's different events that happen. And there's this rising of, of an awareness of, hey, we, we've got to approach things a little bit different. Well, right now in our culture, I think it would be safe to say that in my lifetime, it is the most chaotic um, perspective of culture that I've ever witnessed. Now, has there been chaos in our world before? Absolutely, okay? But one of the things that's very unique right now that we're seeing, especially in America, let me, let me bring it home to where we're talking about America and then where we are as a community. You know, we were founded as a Christian nation, okay? And, uh, and, and one of the things I love to do is study uh, our nation's history and our founding fathers and... and um, you know, every precedent in the Supreme Court up until the late 1940s, every precedent that was cited came from the Old Testament. Okay, the, the Bible was the standard for the Supreme Court. Okay, when you, when you read the legislative manuals and the documentation from Congress throughout history, you can read the reference to Almighty God throughout every story. And you see in the late 40s, early 50s, the beginning of the movement, okay? And it all started in 49. There was a decision of the Supreme Court that went on the opinion of the judges rather than on a precedent from Scripture, and that was the beginning of the change. Okay, and that was slow. It was a slow change. But when you and I begin to become the wisdom of we're going to determine the standard of what's right and wrong, Okay, and then we introduce another generation and they begin to determine the standard of what's right and wrong. Can you see the danger in that? 
we begin to determine what's right and wrong based on what we feel like is appropriate in accordance to culture. Well, you know, it's not that big a deal. I mean, we, could, we really, I mean, I know the Bible says that, but, you know, if you look at today, it's really not that. Ooh, hey, there you go, there's the mic. If today, when we look at that, if we practice that standard, which, it, which we are, it causes confusion because where are the rules? What, what do we do? How do we, where are the boundaries? Okay. Um, I'm going to ask the question, are there any, this is a dangerous question, any football fans in the room? Anybody in here like the game of football or you've ever seen a game of football in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. Does everybody know what a football is? Okay. I mean, Vince Lombardi used to hold up the football at the beginning of football camp and say, gentlemen, this is a football. Okay. So, a party illustration, but... but um, I do enjoy uh, watching football. I enjoyed playing football. But imagine, if you will, Super Bowl. The teams come out there to midfield, and the referees are like, guys, um, you know, this, this team has determined that they have some rules that, that they're going to follow, but they're not going to follow these other rules. But I know y'all have some rules as well that y'all think are important. But, but the other team doesn't see it that way. But that's okay. Y'all, y'all play by your rules, and, and you play by your rules. And, uh, and we're going to do the best we can to officiate, but we might miss a few. Y'all, y'all hang with me now, okay? <laughs> hang with me. Welcome to the United States of America. You're like, man, that game would be Crazy. That's what the world says about us. Because we have people trying to determine rules as to what they think is right and wrong. And when, you, and when we see that on a, on a you know, baseball, basketball, it doesn't matter. One of the greatest illustrations of following boundaries, there's a baseball analogy. It talks about a home plate. And I'm not going to break that whole story down. But at the end of the day, the value of living life by an unchanging standard brings life. It brings freedom. It brings hope. It is not restriction. And so, you know, in the context of family, when I speak to students or families, parents, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, the way Scripture is brought uh, in, in light for students, they see it as restrictive. They don't see the boundaries as actually bringing freedom. And that's why... When Moses was saying this, he said, you know, teach them to obey the commands and the decrees so that you can experience abundant life. There's joy in following the ways of the Lord. So, what does that look like in our families? You know, one of the things Heath, one of the things Heath said to me, he said, Seth, he said, um, I just want you to make it practical I want you to talk through, um, you know, just help us understand how practical it can be in the home, discipling our family and influencing the culture around us by our family being Christ-centered. And, um, you know, Robin and I, when we were married, Christ was at the center of our home. God blessed us with four amazing boys. Um, we have gone through some battles in our life. We have gone through some challenges in our family. Um, my number three son, um, Eli, uh, of our four boys, um, they all were athletes and, and, and played sports and the whole, whole deal. God blessed Eli uniquely um, and with an, a, an elite level of speed and ability and was, uh, has been decorated uh, on a national level as an All-American in track. Uh, for North Greenville, uh, was all state in track and football uh, when he played at Dorman as a wide receiver, North-South All-Star game, all these kinds of things. And, um, but what a lot of people don't know is the story that Eli went through, some of the challenges he went through. Um, he, he just had uh, 
uh, he's just finished two more surgeries this past year on his hip. Uh, so he's had six surgeries. Um, but God has been shaping him in a story for something bigger than we can imagine. And Robin and I, we felt a very um, definitive call on how to coach him through some dark times that we never thought we'd ever have to face. And um, I asked Eli to, to voice that in a video, and so I want you to see that now. I want you to hear Eli's voice, share briefly just, uh, just some nuggets with you, and then I want to unpack just kind of the why. Uh, because the reason that we do this, the reason why we spend time in God's Word, it's not so much to just gain knowledge. It's that we begin to understand the heart of God and gain wisdom so that when the challenging times come, we know where our strength comes from. That's what this is all about. It's not about winning the Bible drill, although that's cool. I never did. I tried. Okay, some of y'all who know what a Bible drill is, that no, they don't sell that drill at Lowe's, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay? But it's not, the, it's not the knowledge of Scripture that gets you through the hard times, but it is the knowledge that leads you to understand the heart of God as you see His faithfulness. So I want you to hear Eli's voice, and then we'll kind of pick it up from there. Hey, guys. So I know that my dad's speaking tonight on the subject of discipleship within the home and how that can impact the culture around us. And I wanted to share how that has impacted me in my own life uh, within my family, uh, but me personally. The beginning of my ninth grade year, I began a journey of injury after injury. Growing up, I had a lot of a lot of success in athletics, and my parents were very intentional with keeping Christ at the center of of our our lives within our entire family. But especially once I went down that road of all the injuries, I've had six major surgeries, four knee surgeries, and two hip surgeries. And through all of that, my parents were so intentional with praying with me, sending me scripture, and, and also having devotions with me and my brothers growing up, but even now. And how that's impacted me now, it's, it's helped keep my focus on, on the Lord. And, you know, through all of that, here I am, and I'm going to run at the University of Alabama this coming fall. I'm beginning a master's in kinesiology. And had I taken my eyes off the Lord at any point for an extended period of time, it would have been very easy for me to, to recognize the situation that I was in and me not want to go back to the Lord. But my parents were so dedicated to keep Christ the center of my life that that's ultimately what's kept me on track. And so I encourage parents to be intentional with discipleship within the home. And students, I also want to encourage you to be open to that. And if your parents might not be wanting to do that, maybe you should spur them on to want to try that and be intentional with having those. Because I guarantee you, what once you begin to do that, you're not going to want to stop because there's going to come a point that you're going to rely on that to get you through. And that's a good place to be because that's the Lord pulling you through. And that's how it should be all the time. Take care, guys. You know, one of the things um, in, in that story, as he was sharing, what you don't know is, is that there were times in that story that Robin and I were on our knees fighting for our son against the enemy because he battled depression. It was very real. And... There were many times where I was praying at his bedside, walking him to the bathroom, helping him shower. This phenomenal athlete who felt he was broken. And my role as a parent at that point was to continue to whisper the truths of God. But it wasn't just for him either. It was reminding me that the Lord is my strength. He is my rock. He is my salvation. So it's not just for our children and grandchildren. 
is for us. So understand that the discipling process is not just something we give down to. It is something we experience transformationally. And we're never too old to learn. There's not a point where we reach that we're like, now nah, we're good. I don't need to be challenged on reading some new books. And uh, I'll just kind of impart my wisdom to others. There's nothing wrong with wanting to impart wisdom. But I can promise you, the older I get, the more I realize there's so much more to learn about the heart of God and, and how I can help others understand that. You know, um, in that journey, and I don't know if you picked up on that, but the, there's a beautiful story of how God is in all of that journey of heartache over eight years uh, and Him feeling like, Lord, what are you doing with my life? I, don't, I had all these plans and aspirations, you know, playing in an NFL, you know. I, I think every kid that plays football or whatever, they have these particular goals. And he was experiencing great success. Then there was a setback, but then he would battle back and he would go at it again, had great success. Then he'd have another injury, blow out another knee, and he would have to battle back. And I can't tell you the hundreds of physical therapy visits. There's no way I can tell you how many times. And then to get, for him to get a phone call just a couple of months ago from the University of Alabama, offering him the opportunity. He's a graduating senior at North Greenville. And he, he had the opportunity to go to the University of Alabama, uh, which was his dream school, but in his senior year in the, in the North-South All-Star game where he was selected as team captain, third play of the game, blew his other knee. And so all of those offers, conversations, just kind of were put on hold. That was a dark place. Very easy to say, God, are you sure? Lord, do you know what you're doing? By the way, guess who else in our family was watching this journey? There were three other brothers. Praying over their brother. Being there for him. You see... This journey now, he understands, is God's story and not his. It's no longer, hey, look and see what I... No, it's look and see what God is doing. God, how can you use me? And now he's going down the pathway of physical therapy so that he can bring hope to those who feel like a part of their life has ended or changed or is forever uh, impacted in a negative way. He wants to show them through God's grace how God can use it for his story. So what does that look like? I, I want to put some things um, just on the board just for a second. And um, now I'm a great artist, and you're, you're going to pick up on that really quick. Okay? So if we were to do Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you see the proper proportions here of, of lines. Okay, now if I were to draw a grid for you and, and we were to kind of take apart the, uh, you know, if I were to ask some of you what time of, of day that you get up, you know, in the morning, when do you, you kind of like roll out? That's going to be different here. And so, uh, you know, some of y'all I'm sure are up, you know, 4.30 and 5 and then you go back to bed or whatever. I don't know. But, but anyway, it, it varies. But at the end of the day, there's, this, there's kind of this schedule of time in the morning. And there's a routine that begins. Okay? So you, you have this routine that starts and it goes through the week. Sunday's going to look different than Monday. Okay? But, but here's what I want you to kind of put in your, in your mind. I want everybody here to think through this. I want everybody to say this number. 168. Say it with me. There's 168 hours in a week. Okay? Now, at best, in student ministry, at best, at the very best, we get them three hours a week. That is at the very best of committed students 
And as soon as they walk into that life group meeting, Sunday school, whatever it is, there's immediate conversations that gospel, gospel focused. And for those of you who work with youth, you're sitting there going, well, maybe we don't get a full hour in on that one meeting. Maybe it's the gospel focused conversation is more like, what I'm getting at is this. If you incorporate worship, a life group experience, and maybe a youth group gathering, um, at best, that is our, that is our window. And so there's 165 other hours in the week. Now, you factor in the sleeping. Uh, how many of y'all, you only need like seven hours of sleep? Seven hours or less, okay? Some of you, I see that hand, okay. How many of you, like, you prefer like the eight hour? All right, some of y'all must be in the nine to ten range. All right, so let, let's go with the eight deal. Okay, let's go with the eight. And so, and so we're at 56, okay? Eight times seven is 56 hours. So immediately, right out of the top, you know, we're, we're bringing some numbers down here. We're at 112. L- let me just say this, and I, w- I need you to trust me on this because I don't want to take all night trying to impress you with my math skills and subtraction. But I'm going to tell you what's going to stand out to you. That when you begin to break down the time of work or school, uh, the different things that you're involved in, leisure time, and I can show you statistics, okay? If I were to ask you to, um, there's, an, there's a way on your phone that you can log and determine the amount of time that you've used certain apps on your phone, okay? Uh, I think it's called screen usage, all right? and you begin to do the math and come down, you'll determine the number of hours or minutes, but hours that you have at your basic disposal to do what you would want to do in order for enrichment, either for you personally or for your family, okay? Um, I did a survey with some of our senior kids. This was uh, a year and a half ago. And I asked them to pull their phones out to, to check screen usage time. And we were going through to determine the, the amount of hours that they spend a week in, on Snapchat or Instagram or YouTube. Those are the primary, and now it's TikTok, okay? The numbers that I would tell you and that are staggering. There was one young man, his screen use time was 23 hours. Now, he was a great student, but 23 hours. And when we started putting all these numbers together, you would see one student going, oh, not, you know, not me. And then they're figuring up, and they're going, huh. You know, their eyes are getting big. And then, then I said, okay, check your screen usage time on your Bible app. Uh, do we have to report that one? <laughs> you know, long story short, culture is not going to help our students understand God's word. They're not going to get our students' attention and say, oh, listen, let's spend this much time and talk about God's word. They're not going to help with that because culture doesn't care. The world doesn't care. In fact, they want to do everything but that. They want to tear away the very fabric of God's word to, to basically infuse a new belief system. So where do they learn the truth of God? And y'all, if it's solely dependent on the church in worship and in life group, I'm pr- I promise you it's not enough. It has to be in the home. It has to be in the home. Now, it's like, you know, what, what does that look like? I mean, you know, one of the things I would be challenging, uh, challenging our, our, our families to do in our church is, you know, at the very least, try to, try to find one night a week that you know as a family you're like, okay, this night, it's, it's no media night, there's no TV night, it's family night. We're going to do a, um, a devotion together, and then we'll have an open-ended conversation. And just talk, okay? And, and then pray together as a family. 
Uh, and that we did a parent teen night one night, and I shared this concept with just our parents saying, you know, you've got to have these conversations with, our, with your students, having gospel conversations, teaching them the truths of God's Word, to become very familiar with God's Word, and, uh, and then have a time of prayer with, with your student. And, and when, the, when the night was over, I had a, had a dad come up to me, and he said, um, can I come by and see you this week? And I said, sure, yeah, man, no problem. And uh, so he, come, he sets up an appointment, comes by, and, and I think it was Tuesday afternoon that, that week, two days after the event. And uh, I didn't have any heads up on anything. I just said, no, he's coming by to talk about something. I don't know. He walks in, he sits down, and he says, Seth, what you said Sunday night, he said, I want so bad to do that with my family. But he said, I am such a hypocrite. He said, I, I'm ashamed to say, and he begins to share some of the things about his life that he knows his family knows. He said, I, I say things I shouldn't say. Um, I don't hold my kids accountable for stuff they watch. In fact, they see some of the stuff that I watch in the language that we see. Um, I lose my temper. I have not treated my wife well. And he says, I know I need to do this, but I, there's no way they're going to listen to me. How do I start? How do I do this? And I looked at him and I said, sit your family down and tell them exactly what you just told me. Y'all, what this is, meeting with our families, is not a lesson. It's life. If you read that passage... What he says, I want to I I make sure you didn't miss this. In verse 7, it says, Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. What he's saying is, it's part of your conversation all the time that it's all centered around God's Word. And if, and if you don't, and if you're not there spiritually, you're sitting there going, I, I love what you're saying, but I'm not there. Y'all, start today. Just start today. Start today saying, Lord, I'm, I want to be, be God-centered today. I want to be in your word today. I can't change the past, but I can impact the future. You know, my, my kids have grown and moved on. Well, there may be some other kids that you can pour into and, and change, their, change their future. Um, I, I shared this with Heath. My, my son is leading a ministry called Fire Pit Ranch. And, um, and it is a ministry that is, uh, there's three pronged. There's father-son experiences, uh, corporate and church leadership development programs. Then the third, probably most impactful thing we're doing right now is the mentoring ministries in the schools. And, uh, and mostly in the elementary schools right now and then some high school programs. But there's one particular school that we have mentors in, and of the 12 boys that are there, none of them have a dad. And think about if the four mentors we would put in there, you think we have four mentors in there that are all Christ followers, that love the Lord, are pouring in values into these young men. It could change the trajectory of their life. That's how the church impacts the community. I'm not sure what the closest elementary school here is to to this church but in in your heart and mind that is your responsibility that elementary school is this church's responsibility to reach and if there are children there based on the last verse of james chapter one there's kids in that school that fall under this church's responsibility to reach how do we do that why should we do it because they need to hear these truths. Now, in the school system, you can't teach the Word of God, and I get that. But there's virtues you can teach, universal truths of character building that we have that we can teach. But then you win the right to be heard. And that's how we move the needle in the community. That's how we move the needle in our homes to do that. So, you know, one of the things here and. um any visual, are y'all visual learners? Because I am. I'm hoping the graphs kind of help. Well, let me, let me do another grid. I just want to impress you with my 
Am I, mess, am I messing you up on the uh, screen stuff? Are we good? I know you got this on. Are we okay? All right. Because this, this is a... Uh, different areas of our life, if I were to say family, uh, church, I'm going to put school, business, um, you know, you're, I'm going to put N for your neighborhood. I'm going to put M for music you listen to, uh, media, you know, LT for your leisure time, uh, your friends, um, your, and then, you know, the list goes on of, of different things that you could, that you could put in those quadrants. But here's what I want you to, I want you to, don't, don't miss what I'm about to tell you. Because, because one of the things about um, teaching our students and, and helping them to understand, I think in a lot of ways, when, when we're trying to carve out time in this schedule as we see it, you know, every week, honestly, on Sunday, there needs to be this meeting of like, okay, what's the time this week we're going to be able to have as a family? Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you one of the things that, that we've done in our home, what we uh, the, the co- whole concept of fire pit ranch actually emerged from this, but, uh, we had a fire pit and, and a lot of times in, in raising our boys, I found that the most authentic conversation I could ever have with my boys, I'm talking about hard stuff as I'd have that, I'd, I'd just go out there and I'd build a fire and there's something about a fire. You can sit there and stare at it and you sit there and you're putting stuff in there and all of a sudden you just ask a question, well, high school, um, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, are, are me and you good? You know, I was, just thinking, I was just reading in the Bible the other day about this. It's just non-threatening conversation. It's very open. It's very honest. It's part of life. If you don't make time for that, it ain't going to happen. You'll end up binging on Netflix, watching some cool Netflix series that everybody's talking about, everybody's laughing about, or everybody's blogging about, or everybody's commenting about, so you can be in the know, but at the end of the day, we're being influenced and discipled by Netflix and Hulu. And God's Word is waiting to transform lives. So, what does that have to do with this? I think that based on the discipleship model that we're seeing in our culture today, that if these represent the different quadrants in our life, we have narrowed the focus that this is when discipleship takes place. Is everybody tracking with me? Boss, you got this on video? Is this right here? You got that chart? Somewhat enough where they get the concept of it. Here's the deal. Someone who is fully surrendered to Christ. Discipleship encompasses all this. If I'm hanging with my friends, I mean, Jesus is part of all that. It's, it's not um, I act a certain way at church and, uh, and then I can act a different way when I'm at school. And by the way, this is happening right now. Our students are struggling. They've, you know, many of them have developed this cyber personality. Uh, some of them have two, two and three Instagram accounts. And so, so the, they, give, they give access to their parents of one account and they create this account that looks really awesome. Maybe have some scripture in there and just some good picture, wholesome pictures. And then they have these other accounts that if their parents saw those, that side of their child, that they're convinced is not there. It tells you the war that's going on inside because they're in this quadrant of like, well, now listen, when I'm at church, my hands are raised. I'm all in. When I'm in with Brother Heath on the trip, man, it's awesome. And, and I'm in there and I love those children we're ministering to, or I can share this. 
But then when they get somewhere else, they have this division in their heart. Their, their playlist on their Apple Music is a witness as to who they are. Now, I'm, I'm just going to say this. When I get to that part right there, people say, well, Brother Seth, that's pretty harsh. I don't know if I would. I'm just saying if we're okay with some of the music that we're listening to, with some of the movies that we're watching, we need to understand that's influencing who we are, how we think, how we process how we face adversity. So discipleship within the home is basically recognizing that somehow we have to integrate the power of God's Word in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're teaching our students Galatians 5, 16. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. How does that happen? Through daily conversations. Um, And so... You know, one of the things, there's a, there's a resource that I've used for years, and I brought some, uh, he's, he's got uh, some as well. Uh, they're, they're, uh, it's called 30 Days by a guy named Richard Ross. Check with Heath if you're interested in this, but let me tell you what it is. It's basically a guide to help you to have conversations with your student. Um, and it's guided conversations with a, with a card that tells you what to say, and then you finish the sentence. And then they respond, they read a card, and then they finish the sentence. And Heath can walk you through that. If, if you're interested in that, just talk with Heath. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, some families that are wanting to incorporate more conversation, they're like, how do I start? What do I say? And I use that book. I said, listen, just use this as a guide to launch from. Um, I mean, I had a mother-daughter situation. This was two weeks ago. She said, I just, I, I feel like I can't get through with my daughter. We were so close. We could talk about anything. Right now, she's just shutting me out. I'm like, uh, do you have a room that you could put a candle in? This is like my answer to fire pit, okay, for a girl, you know. But she might necessarily be as interested in the fire pit. But uh, I said, why don't you set a table up and, and just say, hey, can, can we talk for a minute? You walk in there, and there's this candle. You sit down in candlelight. There's something really cool about being in a room that's dark, and there's a candle. I'm not going to break through all the ambiance issues with that that are positive, but and then hear a couple of questions to ask and then just let it be open-ended, not with an agenda on your part. And uh, so she calls me on the, on the Friday. They did it on a Thursday night. And just I'll just say this. Basically, the words from her mouth was, I so needed that time with my daughter. I had no idea how much she really needed me. She really thought that I didn't care about what she was facing. She knew that I loved her, but that I really cared about those details. Well, that, this, is, this is in every aspect of our family. So I, I, I want to just say that, you know, the, the challenge that we have to move the needle in our culture is great. And God has called the church to do that. But I think he's given us a very practical way to do it. And I, and I hope that tonight, and just the things that I've shared with you, there's, it's given you some ideas that you can implement in your home, uh, either with your children or grandchildren, uh, or a way you can get involved uh, and talk with your staff about ways that you can be more involved and intentional with, with helping uh, young people and moving the needle um, in, in our community. But uh, Heath did ask if I could leave a few minutes if there was a question or two that... that Somebody may have, uh, not that I would have a great answer, but I'm, I'm willing to, to, to a- answer any question you might have. But I want to say this, that um, I want you to know that I'm still on a journey of trying to figure some of this stuff out as well. And, uh, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to come and share with you some things that I hope are practical and helpful and encouraging. And y'all, if I didn't think we could move the needle and make a difference, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I believe there's great hope for the impact of the church. And it's exciting to be a part of it, especially right now when the whole world is spinning on its head trying to figure out what's next. The church needs to step into that vacuum and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, how he's going to use this opportunity for his glory. So, Heath, if you want to be our mic guy, anybody have a question that you have? That Yes, absolutely. And uh, understand this, there is no... Stupid question. That's right. Uh, I mean, uh, if if it's something that's that's on your heart, uh, man, just ask it. 
Um, that's why. That's one thing that I love about Seth is, uh, I mean, he is he is a resource and uh, he's willing to be used, willing to give um, his thoughts on it. Uh, and so, uh, so if there's a question that you have as a parent, as a grandparent, um, as a, a mentor, uh, and I'll please, and I'll, I'll bring you the mic and you can ask him. Not everybody at once. Yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, I know you lost, you lost that hour of sleep. Trust me, I know. I've not gained it back yet. Okay. So, but uh, but seriously. Well, uh, Heath, let me say this. While while you're thinking, let me just let me say yeah, this. Go ahead. The, I realize that there are no social issues today that are confusing for students. Okay. I realize that uh, that the students. Y'all, I'm going to say this. I could go down the top five issues that students are seeing today in culture. I was talking to a family this morning about this very thing. You know, is it, what about a Christian and the response to alcohol? I think the Bible speaks very clearly about appropriate behavior for a believer. What does the Bible say about uh, the struggle with gender? and the questions that that brings up and what's happening in Washington and all these things. I think the Bible speaks to every issue that we're facing as a culture. It's filled with specifics, but it's covered in grace and love, but it's very specific. And if we don't get in the Word to see what God's Word says, then we're just speculating as to what we think God's Word says. And that just adds to the confusion. And so I think you can find great healing in seeing how God's Word speaks to all these issues. Anybody have a particular question? Anybody got a question? Parents, don't be afraid. Students, if you have a question, please feel free to ask him. He'll give it to you. I'll start us off just because this is something that's happened recently. Uh, with all the e-learning this last year, that in yeah. um, the share a little bit about the statistics and data uh, and advice for some for a parent that may have a student that's that's dealing with an extreme amount of anxiety and depression. No, I, I think that's a that's a great word. You know, one of the things where family systems are even more important than ever before. Our students have faced something now that's, that's, that's unprecedented. There's never, there's never been a, a, a time where students have had to move to an e-learning experience like this in our, in our country. So we didn't even know what e-learning was a few years back. And so now we have students who, uh, who struggle with attention, okay, that being in the classroom is challenging enough, and now they're having to sit at a computer to listen to a talking head and teachers that are doing the best they can to adapt and adjust the learning experience, but it's even a challenge for our educators and students who, were, who have gone through a long period of isolation for the most part, okay? Um, the amount of prescription drugs for anxiety among the teen culture is 10 times more than it's ever been, okay? The suicide rate that we're seeing in America today alone among teenagers, and listen, this is in every category, but just teenagers, is astronomical. Okay, in Spartanburg County, this was several weeks ago, I was doing a funeral, um, and uh, one of the chaplains was there, and he was sharing with me, he said, man, we have had eight suicides in the last two weeks in Spartanburg County. Well, you don't see it in the paper written that way, it's, a, it's somebody's passing. But y'all, this anxiety thing is real. Okay? Does God's word speak to anxiety? I mean, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, straight to it. Okay? Uh, and, and Psalms is filled with it. Y'all, that, that's, that's what we're talking, we've got to be talking with our students and our families about. And just talking, reassuring about God's word speaks to this. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, and that sounds so easy, 
But if, if Romans 12, 2 is a good word, I'm just telling you, it's don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's through that that you determine the will of the Father in the midst of uncertain times. In the midst of this uncertainty, God, what are you doing? So that's a, Heath, that's a great question, dealing with anxiety. And, and it's the unknown, what's going to happen? I can promise you this. If there's another virus that comes out next fall, a PTSD, that was a, that's a phrase that's being used primarily for our military, but we're going to see similar uh, anxiety disorders emerge among a large group of people when they hear that phrase because they immediately, oh goodness, I'm going to lose my job. Oh goodness, I've got to go home for an unknown amount of time away from my friends. Um, you know, young men struggling, and by the way, this is not just men, it's, it's girls as well now, struggling with pornography because of isolation. Uh, and what that leads to in, the, in a self-defeating lifestyle for them. I mean, the list goes on. The use of drugs, the use of alcohol, trying to numb the pain. The church speaks to all of that. God's word speaks to all that. We are the carriers of hope. And, and if, you know, I think a lot of times we find ourselves complaining about what we're seeing. But, man, we've got a, we've got a solution. Um, so somebody else, a specific question about anything with youth culture or the families or anything like that that I might get answer. And if not, I just say this. You guys have been so attentive. I mean, this has been a, a neat opportunity to share with you tonight. I will say this. If you have, if you have felt that this was helpful for you, um, I, and I don't know where the live feed will be posted, but, uh, you know, just they'll, they'll give you some instructions on that. Not here again, not that there's anything that I've said that's like, oh, that's enlightening. But it's the topic of conversation. Y'all, we've got to be moving the needle on that. So um, thank you so much for allowing me to be with you tonight. And, uh, and I'll be here uh, afterwards. And if you do have a specific question, um, but at this time, I'll, I'll turn that over to Heath. Real quick. Yeah. One more, one more question. Yeah. Um, you spoke about Fire Pit Ranch and uh, this ministry that your son's doing. Um, tell a little bit more about if, if any of the men in the church uh, want to get involved in, in implementing any of that yes. here yes. Within, our, within our church, uh, how they could do that. I'll say this, that April 21 is, is kind of like a night set aside as a, uh, I don't want to say a watch party, but it's a night that there'll be a presentation on Fire Pit Ranch so you kind of see the why behind it. And you can go to the website, and, and I'll give that to Heath and Jack, and they can get you more information about how to dial in. But guys, let me say this. We have mentors of all ages. Uh, we have some mentors that are just out of college that are working that want to make a difference in the, in the schools. And then we have a lot of guys all the way up. To, we have several who are retired that are back in the schools, and they're really grandfathers walking in there uh, working with these children. And uh, we have a template on how to approach the school saying, hey, here's what we want to do. The guidance counselors work on determining those 12 young men that, that you'll work with. And, uh, and then they're going you know, to go through the SLED background check to be in school compliance. All that stuff is you know, above board and everything. But uh, a lot of this is in line with the Heart for Schools initiative that the South Carolina Baptist Convention has really encouraged us to do. And this is a, actually a method, a way to do that to move the needle in the schools. And we're seeing it revitalize men in the church saying, hey, this is something I can do. I mean, in some cases, it's you given one day a week, 30 minutes. You coming by and being part, most of it's in the morning, early morning before school, meeting with those, those guys, reading buddies for third and fourth grade. You may not have known this, but South Carolina is one of only five states that uses an algorithm that where they determine... Uh, students that can't read by the end of the third grade year, they base the number of students that fall in that category to determine the number of prison beds needed in the years to come. Because the trajectory of students who can't read at the end of the third grade, they are projected to drop out of school. And of those, there's a super high percentage that will be in the, in the juvenile delinquent center ultimate, uh, uh, system into the Department of Corrections uh, process. And because up to the third grade, you're learning to read. After third grade, you read to learn. Okay? That's part of our job. 
That's part of the job of, of the church. We've got to help these kids to read God's word. Yeah, and I'm sure most of you know this, but up until the early 1950s, a large part of the curriculum used in every elementary school in America was McGuffey's uh, Reader and God's Word. The children were taught to read God's Word. That was their primary literature that they were learning to read. I'm just saying, the people out there are saying, you know, no, we weren't born. You know, yes, I'm telling you, God's Word has always been centerpiece. Now it's not. Anyway, that's just a sidebar that you didn't ask for, but I'll just kind of toss that out there to you. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate it so much. Uh, give Seth a hand uh, for coming tonight. And um, so, and if you have questions uh, for him later on, like I said, he's going to be around here for a little bit, then uh, we're going to go grab some grub because that's what us youth pastors do. And um, so uh, we hang out with kids and love on them, teach them, and we eat. So, uh, so. Uh, but we're going to Tropical Grill, so um, it's good stuff. Uh, healthy alternative. Uh, so, but hey, uh, love you guys. Thank you. Uh, he, he he won't admit this, but uh, Seth is a uh, very huge influencer, not only in this state and has been for years, uh, but throughout the southeast. Um, if, if Tom Brady is the goat of NFL, Seth Buckley is the goat of student ministry in the Southeast. Uh, and I don't say that jokingly. I say that uh, with all sincerity. Um, the influence that he has had not only on students and families, but youth pastors um, throughout the years. And uh, so thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Let's pray. And uh, do we have any other announcements? All right. One more thing. I was debating whether to share this or not. You guys know I'm pretty vulnerable and transparent. So for you young whippersnappers who still have kids at home, I think one of my takeaways, had I heard this 10 years ago, would be when you look at that grid right there, for some of us our takeaway is we can't do that because we have no buffer. Because our schedule is so packed that our family gets the leftovers. And you guys have heard me say that the early years of my marriage, Lynette was a single parent pretty much because ministry and I was running 100 miles an hour. So I hope that as you've prayed and been listening tonight that all of us, no matter where we fall on our life journey, will have at least one takeaway. I've got a takeaway for me tonight, even though my kids are in college and one's out of college. Um, but it may be that your takeaway could be you have to find buffer if you're too worn out when you get home to have gospel conversations with your kids, and it's not going to happen. So, buddy, thank you. Thank you. Pray? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Seth. Uh, thank you for your hand on him and his family, his ministry. And, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, as a result of seeds that are planted tonight, we see much fruit, not just in our, in our church family and in the lives and the families here, but in our community. So thank you for what we've heard. Uh, may we apply it and uh, go with us as we go our journey home tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, don't forget, Tuesday, Tuesday, 7 a.m., prayer time right here. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you.